0: Welcome back, Heming Brainiacs, to the Hemingway List Podcast, the best podcast in the world. Talking about chapter six of human bondage. Um so that's the weekly schedule down. What was your takeaway from this chapter? Um a bit of a snooze fest this chapter. Not the biggest snooze fest we've seen on the Hemingway list, but I did find it a bit hard to pay attention, but then I don't think there was anything too critical being portrayed in this chapter i think the idea was to give this i this impression that their weekly schedule was repetitive and routine and regimented and strict and i'm trying to think of a particular word and i cannot um so <clears throat> Yeah, I'm saying this because a few people said to me, geez, I couldn't really follow this chapter. I tried to read it, couldn't read it. Got to listen to it, kept tuning out. I think that's all good. The bad news is, usually when we have a snoozefest chapter, in the next episode of the podcast, Mm -hmm. I will do the schmoop.com recap, where it recaps every chapter of the books uh, in dot points, so you can just sort of make sure you didn't miss anything critical. This book isn't covered in Schmoop.com, and I couldn't really find an equivalent site which does the same thing. So, we don't have the Schmoopies on this one, unfortunately. Um, So, we're just going to have to hope that we didn't miss anything too crucial to the plot. Fix the Blue says, This chapter has done nothing to warm me to the vicar. He seemed pretty petty with the butchers and the other churches, also more of a stinge, sharing a paper with two others. They preferred to have a tea by themselves, and after tea they played backgammon. Mrs. Carey arranged that her husband should win because he did not like losing. This really stuck out for me as being quite sad for Mrs. Carey, basically going through the motions of backgammon only to lose in order to keep the vicar happy. I can see that bringing Philip into the mix is likely to shake up their lifestyle. It seems like a pretty monotonous existence. I quite liked that um, the Mary Ann character, though. She seems like a no BS kind of woman. Laura Weistich says, the backgammon was the worst for me. Can you imagine having to play a game to lose every evening? But also this line. To this, Mr. Carey replied that the devil could quote scripture to his purpose. What kind of opinion is that from a vicar? Jan Brunt said, Mrs. Carey and Philip seem to have a good rapport. They're both used to having their own needs overlooked. I think they could form a great friendship. I enjoyed how Mr. Carey was called out for being bad at the subjects he teaches, but Mrs. Carey was specifically not. I expect Philip will be sent to boarding school pretty soon. That's what always happens to sensitive boys in British novels. Ha. Yep, that would be my guess too. Off to the old British boarding school, School of Hard Knocks. You might get to try some chocolate and then write a book called Charlie and the Chocolate Factory later on in your life, if you're Roald Dahl. I'm Norwegian, said I both read this chapter and listened to the reading later, and it went in one ear and out the other both times. The Did you read with your ears? The vicar is acting like he's the popular girl in high school or something. I am noticing how British this book is, and for some reason I don't like it. I love C.S. Lewis, but I found myself unable to get into any of his fiction, and I had a lot to do with my being unable to take just how British they were seriously. I absolutely loved *The Crown*, though, so I don't know what my deal is. I love Britishness. I love the British sense of humor, although this isn't a particularly funny book. Um, there is some humor in it, though. Um, I love British—I don't know—the pompousness, but they also—they're also, they're like, if in Europe standards, they're not that pompous. I don't know. I've just been watching um, Downton Abbey, so yeah, I'm all good. I'm all Britished up. I quite like it, and I like the way they write. I like the British prose style, Dahl sort of thing. Um, scrolling, scrolling. Swims to the month. She said, "My takeaway from this: the author has quite a sense of humour. I found this chapter hilarious." For, the, for example, the way he described the umbrage of the two butchers, the contretemps between the vicar and the churchwarden that required high-level diplomacy of two wives, the rigid- rigidness of the weekly meals, including dating the eggs, the uproar over the bathing schedule, the fact that Marianne absolutely rules the roost, I also think he described a slice of a certain type of provincial life in the n- late 19th century England really well. Um... Yeah, I suppose it was kind of comical, the how ridiculous their routine is and how strict it all is. Acoustic Eel says he doesn't even want to pay full price on a newspaper. I can't with this man. I enjoyed the Josiah Graves slash Mr. Carey episode. They both ended up back where they started because their starting position was what both of them wanted the most. It gives an eternal feel to the place where this, book of, where this part of the book is set. Everything's seeing to maintain everything seeming to maintain things the way they are. I can't decide if I like the way that part was told as a little backstory to Mr. Carey's character or I also want to hear the full story of that episode told as the main action for a couple of chapters. I think I would chuckle while reading it as I have been for the last couple of pages. I am hoping he threw away what would have been a good comedic story arc because he has even better material coming up for us. Well, hopefully. Only one thing to do, though, isn't there, and that is to find out by reading Chapter 7, which goes exactly like this, verbatim. Sunday was a day crowded with incident. Mr. Carey was accustomed to say that he was the only man in the parish who worked seven days a week. The household got up half an hour earlier than usual, no lying abed for a poor parson on the day of rest, Mr. Carey remarked as Mary Ann knocked at the door punctually at eight. It took Mrs. Carey longer to dress and she got down to breakfast at nine, a little breathless, only just before her husband. Mr. Carey's boots stood in front of the fire to warm. Prayers were longer than usual and the breakfast more substantial. After breakfast, the vicar cut thin slices of bread for the communion and Philip was privileged to cut off the crust. He was sent to the study to fetch a marble paperweight, with which Mr. Carey pressed the bread till it was thin and pulpy, and then it was cut into small squares. The amount was regulated by the weather. On a very bad day, people came to church, and on a very fine one, though many came, few stayed for communion. There were most, when it was dry enough to make the walk to church pleasant, but not so fine that people wanted to hurry away. Then Mrs. Carey brought the communion plate out of the safe, which stood in the pantry, and the vicar polished it with a chamois leather. At ten, the fly drove up and Mr. Carey got into his boots. Mrs. Carey took several minutes to put on her bonnet, during which the vicar, in a voluminous cloak, stood in the hall with just such an expression on his face as would have become an early Christian about to be led into the arena. It was extraordinary that after thirty years of marriage, his wife could not be ready in time on Sunday morning, At last she came in black satin. The vicar did not like colors in a clergyman's wife at any time. But on Sundays he was determined that she would wear black. Now and then, in conspiracy with Miss Graves, she ventured a white feather or a pink rose in her bonnet. But the vicar insisted that it should disappear. He said he would not go to church with the scarlet woman. Mrs. Carey sighed as a woman, but obeyed as a wife. They were about to step into the carriage when the vicar remembered that no one had given him his egg. They knew that he must have an egg for his voice. There were two women in the house, and no one had the least regard for his comfort. Mrs. Carey scolded Mary Ann, and Mary Ann answered that she could not think of everything. She hurried away to fetch an egg, and Mrs. Carey beat it up in a glass of sherry. The vicar swallowed it at a gulp. The communion plate was stowed in the carriage, and they set off the fly came from the red line and their peculiar smell of stale straw. They drove with both windows closed so that the vicar should not catch a cold. The sexton was waiting at the porch to take the communion plate, and while the vicar went to the vestry, Mrs. Carey and Philip settled themselves in the vicarage pew. Mrs. Carey placed in front of her the sixpenny bit she was accustomed to put in the plate and gave Philip threepence for the same purpose. The church filled up gradually and the service began. Philip grew bored during the sermon, but if he fidgeted, Mrs. Carey put a gentle hand on his arm and looked at him reproachfully. He regained interest when the final hymn was sung and Mr. Graves passed round with the plate. When everyone had gone, Mrs. Carey went into Mrs. Graves' pew to have a few words with her while they were waiting for the gentleman, and Philip went to the vestry, his uncle, the curate, and Mr. Graves were still in their surpluses. Mr. Carey gave him the remains of a consecrated bread, and told him he might eat it. He had been accustomed to eat it himself, as it seemed blasphemous to throw it away, but Philip's keen appetite relieved him of the duty. Then they counted the money. It consisted of pennies, sixpences, and three-penny bits. There were always two single shillings, one put in the plate by the vicar and the other by Mr. Graves and sometimes there was a florin. Mr. Graves told the vicar who had given this. Mr. Graves told the vicar who had given this. He was always a stranger to Blackstable, and Mr. Carey, I wondered who he was. What? He was always a stranger to Blackstable, and Mr. Carey wondered who he was. But Miss Graves had observed the rash act, and was able to tell Mrs. Carey that the stranger came from London, was married, and had children. During the drive home, Mrs. Carey passed the information on, and the vicar made up his mind to call on him and ask for a subscription to the Additional Curates Society. Mr. Carey asked if Philip had behaved poorly, and Mrs. Carey remarked that Mrs. Wigram had a new mantle. Mr. Cox was not in church, and somebody thought that Miss Phillips was engaged. When they reached the vicarage... They all felt that they deserved a substantial dinner. When this was over, Mrs. Carey went to her room to rest, and Mr. Carey lay down on the sofa in the drawing room for forty winks. They had tea at five, and the vicar ate an egg to support himself for even song. Mrs. Carey did not go to this so that Mary Ann might, but she read the service through and the hymns. Mr. Carey walked to church... In the evening, and Philip limped along by his side, the walk through the darkness along the country road strangely impressed him, and the church, with all its lights in the distance, coming gradually nearer, seemed very friendly. At first he was shy with his uncle, but little by little grew used to him, and he would slip his hand in his uncle's and walk more easily for the feeling of protection. They had supper when they got home, Mrs. Carey. So Mr. Carey's slippers were waiting for him on a footstool in front of the fire and by their side, Phillips. One the shoe of a small boy, the other misshapen and odd. He was dreadfully tired when he went up to bed, and he did not resist when Mary Ann undressed him. She kissed him after she tucked him up, and he began to love her. All right, there we go. Nice. The last line of the, the chapter, kind of... Gave it a little sweet twist, didn't it? Have your say about this one over on the subreddit. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.